This is Nightlife with Philip Clark on ABC Radio. While in plague proportions they're a huge problem, grasshoppers, when in normal numbers, are a critical part of our biodiversity. They're major links in the food chain. Some species are threatened and... Yes, while some are agricultural pests, they're also fascinating from a scientific and natural history perspective. For our discussion tonight, a look at a current project for a group of scientists drawing on the work and notebooks of the late Dr Ken Key. Ken was a South African who came to Australia in 1936 to study the Australian plague locust. He worked for over 35 years at the Australian National Insect Collection, ANIC, building up a store of over 100,000 specimens during uh, extensive field trips between 1936 and 1989. His research teams would famously stop every 10 miles to look for grasshoppers, no matter what the conditions. Guess what? They usually found some. Now researchers are using Dr Key's old field notes and his samples that have been at Annex since 1947, together with new technology to try and retrace his steps. And the idea is to match specimens to locations to see what's changed amongst grasshopper species and populations. It's painstaking work, as you can imagine. There was no GPS back in the 1940s, and, of course, there is the problem of uh, Dr Key's handwriting as well, and there are hundreds and hundreds of pages of it. To join, uh, to tell us more, we're joined by Professor Michael Carney. Michael is a physiological ecologist at the School of Biosciences at the University of Melbourne. Michael, good evening, and welcome to Nightlife. Good evening, Phil. Thanks for having me on. Great to have you with us too. Tell me about grasshoppers. There, uh, does Australia have a? Does Australia have many species of grasshoppers? Yeah, it does. I mean, some people say Australia is grasshopper country because if you go out into the the drier parts of Australia, and most of Australia is dry, hmm. they're one of the most obvious um, living things, uh, living animals at least, um, on the landscape. You walk around and you have all these little things jumping away away from you at your feet. Um, so there are lots of lots of grasshoppers in terms of numbers, and we have about a thousand species of grasshopper. Right. Um, yeah, and so they're, they're you know they're a really big part of our ecosystem. So we'd be um, we'd and, be one we in terms of the world population we'd be a pretty important uh, site for grasshoppers, are, are we? We are, yeah. I mean, we have like we we do for many of our animals. We have um, unique groups that are represented in Australia. So there's there's a group of grasshoppers is a bit like the you know the marsupials, um, you know, of the mammal world in that you only find them in Australia. You know, we have. We have some really interesting grasshopper diversity, as well as a reasonable number of species mm. in total. They, but they generally like hot, dry climates, do they? Yeah, they do, actually. Um, there are very few... There's only one species you get under the canopy in the rainforests of North Queensland. Right. Uh, and then as you go further and further south, um, you know, they, they, don't, they don't live very well in the shade basically if you um but but whenever there's a little bit of sun coming to the ground in a habitat there will be grasshoppers okay all right so not cold they're not so yeah no. I, I mean i remember when i grew up in tassie there were grasshoppers in tassie but, but you'd say there'd be yeah, there'd but, be more in the wimmera for example yeah and there's there's grasshoppers in tassie but you wouldn't find them under the beech forest or you know in the southwest um no, where it's really no. wet and cold wet yeah, that's and right cold okay all right. So, what's the difference between a grasshopper and a locust? Yeah, well, a, a, a locust is a um, particular form of grasshopper. It's not like a, a, a grouping by relatedness. It's some grasshoppers have independently evolved the ability to basically become gremlins when they uh, are in high numbers. Yeah. They change as they develop. If they if they're in high numbers while they're growing up, they change their form into a into a form that's called a locust form. So we have uh, the Australian plague locust, which 
it's our main um, grasshopper that causes problems economically. But the desert locust uh, that causes lots of problems through Africa is completely unrelated. They've just separately evolved a gremlin form, if you like, where they, they become more mobile and they travel away from the place that they're, they're growing up and they land somewhere else as a group uh, and just continue to move around and avoid running out of food, basically. Yeah. Okay. What what causes we 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 get we do get plagues of locusts here, don't we? But we do. Yeah. yeah. Last big one was in the 2010, 2011 um, summer. Right. And that was after a, dr- a drought followed by massive breaking, you know, drought breaking rains. Um, mm. We had a lot of fire in the arid zone too. You might recall that. So that was a whopper of a plague, and we haven't had one since. Um, it just has to be the right sequence of wet and dry. It doesn't, you know, we've had a lot of rain recently. It's not clear that's going to translate into a plague. Um, but, you know, exactly how, what the what drives the big plagues isn't totally understood. Mm. All right, I'm, yeah. talk, I'm talking with Professor Michael Carney. He's uh, a uh, physiological ecologist and uh, knows quite a bit about grasshoppers. Uh, the whole point of this conversation, of course, is to tell us about Ken Key. Now, Ken Key was a scientist. He came from South Africa to study... Uh, grasshoppers in the 1930s how come how come oh yeah so i mean he was a entomologist since he was a child i think he had his first pinned insect collection at the age of seven um and he he was um he was working on the on uh the migratory locust uh doing a phd in the uk but then he um ended up moving to australia to study our plague locust and try and work out you know what is the thing? What is the exact species that's causing the problem? And and just find out about the ecology of the species. So that was his first job. He arrived in 1936, and in fact, these field notebooks start right then in 1936. Um, we, you know, we were particularly focusing on on a particular subset of the notebooks that started in 1948. But, but he, you know, the notebooks go way back to 1936, and he he just started trying to understand the basics of what species are there in Australia and what's their ecology. Did he figure it out? Did he figure out what was going on with he, the plague locust? He did. He worked out a lot. I mean, he he worked out what the related species were. And so, um, you know, we got a much clearer idea about exactly what species was plaguing. Right. Uh, and he was trying to identify where were these um, where were these plagues coming from. The, this, the plague locust is a, a nomadic species that lives normally is, is living out in the desert and it's and it's finding little places of greenness in that landscape where it's rained recently. And then they have a whole lot of remarkable adaptations to allow them to um, find new places where there's food. They have an incredible capacity to move across the landscape. Mm-hmm. And and uh, he was trying to understand exactly how that works and where are the outbreak, the, the zones where they come from to cause the outbreaks. He got a lot of it right, not all of it. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. so he collected a lot of grasshoppers. <laughs> he did, yeah. He where did. where are, um, are, they, are they all in the insect collection? The the majority are yeah. So he decided. Look, in general, we need a much we need a collection of of um of grasshoppers in the national insect collection because these are the reference points that allow us to work out what species are what. It's you know yeah. the fu- most fundamental thing we can know about them. So so he decided to just let's just travel around Australia and find out, out about all the grasshoppers and just build a reference collection of all of them because you never know you know what the next pest species is going to be and there is more than one pest species in Australia but also they're just a really important part of our biodiversity so he basically set up a, a program where people were driving around for for many many years um him and his and his team yeah. uh Surveying the every ten mile stop uh, approach and um, and just collecting lots of specimens. And, what what and... he stop? What he just stop the car and get out with a jar? Did he? 
Yeah, uh, with a butterfly net, you know. <laughs> this, this, um, these, some of these expeditions were joint expeditions with people studying other kinds of animals, uh, other kinds of insects. And, uh, you know, you jump out of the car, um, you're not necessarily going to find a wasp or a, or a dragonfly. And and some of the people who came along with him started to get very annoyed uh, about his 10-mile stops. And, you know, can we please be a little bit more specific about where we stop because we're not finding anything. But uh, Ken was fine. He was – there are always grasshoppers. Yeah. All right, so and he, and he 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 noted all this in in notebooks apparently. Yeah, which right. you're trying to which you're trying now to decipher because his handwriting wasn't so great. Yeah, I mean his his handwriting was all right once you get the hang of it, but it's um you know some of them are carbon copies, so you're reading the carbon copy version, so that's um. not that makes it even more difficult. He had um had a couple of other people working for him whose handwriting was a bit worse. Uh, so, you know, yeah, that was a challenge. Um, you get the hang of it after a while, but it starts off quite challenging. And they were, um, they didn't have a GPS, of course, so they were using the car odometer. So they would they would say, you know, went through Muldura at this odometer reading, and then they would say, stopped this odometer reading. Um, and you, you, know, you can work out which way they went um, and then work backwards and forwards from the reference points. They might refer to a creek crossing or, yeah. or, or a road intersection. And, and so it was all by the odometer. They, they always had to keep driving forwards and, you know, there, there was interesting constraints on them to, uh, to ensure that those odometer readings were going to be useful for locating the sites. So what do you, so what, what's the point of this? You're, you're, you're trying to work out whether or not, Given his extensive field work, anything's changed in those locations. Are you? Yeah, um, I mean, what what we have on those pin specimens are statements like five miles northwest of Goodwindy or something as the as the location, right? But that's not very accurate. What we were doing is following exactly the routes that they went and getting really detailed estimates of the latitude and longitude at which all those specimens occur. Then we can use those those coordinates to yes get a to go back to those places and assess what's what's there how things have changed but we can also use that to do analyses of how these species are related to their environmental conditions and just the more accurate your locations are the much more powerful your analyses are so um it's it's you know it, knowing the lo- latitude and longitude of a a sighting of a species is one of the most basic ecological things we can know about them. And so we were able to pull out about uh, almost 9,000 new locations for Australian grasshoppers out of these notebooks that otherwise were were vague or, you know, not even not even digitised, not even written down anywhere, just labelled on the pin specimen in the, in the annex, in the National Insect Collection. What sort of shape are the pinned grasshoppers in after 80 years? Oh, they're in very good shape. I mean, they knew what they were doing. Um some of them are very delicate. Um, you know, one of the past curators told me that the, the matchstick grasshoppers, which I I do a lot with, he said they their legs fall off if you just look at them. You know, and Ken Key was a very meticulous man, and you pull out these drawers and you see all these grasshoppers perfectly lined up, like, and and you know he could tell if someone had been messing with the collection because you know they wouldn't be perfectly lined up. So he was he was very careful, very meticulous, and they're they're all still just sitting there. Uh, many of them having not been touched since the day he pinned them. Wow. Yeah. Uh, do you? I mean, do you see evolutionary changes in the grasshoppers? Ah, uh, look, we you know evolutionary change can happen in that shorter space of time if there's a really you know big big event. Um, you know knocks out you know one big chunk of the population we we've really just 
documented all the you know all the all the specimens locations and put digitized it all and made it available we haven't really yet had that much time to look at how things have changed sure. so who knows who yeah. knows what we'll find well, i mean yeah. i remember doing a program on on insects um a, a couple of years ago and one of the things that came through talking to scientists then was that was a concern about the state of the insect load generally and there was a feeling that you know because of modern farming techniques and monocultures and so on that insect numbers had overall declined quite markedly. Yeah, the insect, insect and, Armageddon. Yeah. yeah, that's right. What's the story with grasshoppers? Are they hanging in there or not? I think they are actually. I mean, um, we did get to do a little field trip. This was before lockdown. We did one little field trip revisiting some of these sites and we found just as high diversity and, and, and numbers as they found in the past. Oh, okay. Um, and I've been I've been working on some species of grasshopper where I've been going back to sites people studied in the in the seventies, and they're just just the same. I, I think in general with grasshoppers, yeah, not not huge changes that we can see so far um, in terms of you know loss of species. But there will be some particular species that have become lost just from land clearing and that sort of thing. And one of the species we do study, which is named after Ken Key, um, Key's matchstick grasshopper, is endangered and has, but it's been suffering from land clearance more than anything else right yeah okay well one of the interesting things i mean you also look at the people who helped him too including interestingly one of the research assistants or scientists on who worked with ken keys lou chinnick who died that's right of an allergy to grasshoppers yeah um yeah that's right um and i and actually i heard that he died in his 40s um this problem and after writing this little article popular article i got uh, an email from his daughter who had read this on Facebook and contacted me and said, actually, he died uh, later in his, I think he was 61, I think, but he was, he was in a bad way and on steroids and things to try and deal with this allergy problem from, uh, from his early 40s. So it was really quite tragic. It's common for yeah. people to develop yeah. um, allergies to grasshoppers. Is it, and, is um, it really? I've not, yeah, heard, I've not heard that. It yeah. Is, yeah. It is. I mean, yeah, these days, especially locusts, um, it's the it's the feces, the frass. People have to wear you know full protective gear now and have positive pressure in the labs and things. So it, back then it was becoming apparent, and perhaps they should have known a bit better. Um, but uh, yeah, that was a bit tragic. But Lou was like, uh, he was the toughest of them all, I think, in terms of the, the trips he did months at a time, driving along the the roads that Len Bedell opened up in the centre of Australia, like only a few, you know, a couple of years after he created those roads into the really remote areas. Obviously, pretty good road that just been made, but hmm. in summer, you know, heat of summer, it would have been so tough. Um, and yeah, Lou was, I, I just was very impressed by this man um, and uh, what he did. And I'm really curious to learn more about him. Not a lot is written about him. Yeah, interesting. Um, Michael, great to talk with you. Good luck. Yeah, a pleasure. Keep Thank your, you very much. Keep your back legs bent. See you, Phil. Thanks, Michael. You've been listening to a Nightlife podcast. For more great conversations about the issues that impact you, as well as features on travel and food, head to the Nightlife webpage. You'll find it at abc.net.au slash nightlife. You don't need to be a night owl to enjoy the nightlife.